Hi, this is Elliot Fishman, and welcome to our latest series of vodcasts. And this is going to be on CTN Geography. I'm going to speak a little bit about some of the principles, and then I'm going to speak about some specific applications. And this will be probably a three-part series. So why don't we get started? Um, one thing people always ask me in terms of doing CTN Geography is the practical aspects of things. Uh, where do you do 3D imaging? And there's no doubt these days uh, the answer is typically D, all of the above. We have the capabilities of doing post-processing at the scanner, and that's often necessary because in the emergency situation, you could do something very quickly, or and when I say the scanner, I typically mean the satellite console. You don't want to be interrupting the technologist from scanning, but we have satellite consoles or multimodality workplace stations, but there's something next to the scanner. In the 3D reading area, uh, that can be one of two ways. One is we can have dedicated workstations, which we often do have, but also the fact is we have a thin client. So basically every computer is really a workstation. So that becomes a very uh, good model. And I'll touch on that in a moment again. And then we have a dedicated 3D lab where we have a number of higher powered workstations. Now, um, I don't think one uh, eliminates the other. I think you need all of these. A dedicated 3D lab works very well because you can do a lot of the volume in that situation. I can go to that area and crank out in a 12-hour day 60 or 70 3D cases. So it's a very practical aspect. It's good from the academic perspective of things. It's good from the ability to kind of get everything in one place. But again, um, there's different needs in different situations. And so a combination of all of these indeed will work very nicely. Now, I will not get into this discussion about who does the 3D post-processing. Our philosophy has always been it's the radiologist. It's key that you're able to look at the images. Just look, you look at any other CT scan. And having technologists, whether it's a specialized 3D tech or outsourcing studies, really is just not the same thing. You're not going to have someone else read your CT scans for you on the axial images. Why would you think you're going to have somebody uh, doing the uh, 3D processing for you? I always do make the point that technologists are our most critical asset, and I know many of the people in the audience are indeed are technologists, and that's always been our motto. And uh, you can speak to our chief tech, B at Hopkins, and she'll tell you that that's something we've not only spoken about, uh, not given lip service to, but truly uh, uh, recognize it's our most critical resources, and they're the key to any 3D program because, you know, when I do the post-processing, I'm totally dependent on getting an incredibly good set of data. If you don't get a good data set, you can do all the fancy 3D imaging you want, but all you have is a bad study. So they're very critical, but our philosophy is that it's a radiologist-driven model, that you look at the images, you can do it at the same time or later as part of the interpretive process. It's really truly a single event. Now, you can argue that you need to do all the different 3D cases. I would agree that in some situations where you're doing 3D for measurement, like for stent planning, uh, if you had a tech doing a lot of the specific measurements, it's not an issue. But I think when you're using it for interpretation, there's no way, no how. You've got to be doing it yourself. Um, again, preparing the images for you, that seems easy. But that would make the assumption that you're always able to choose the right image. And one of the things we've learned and we've written about, and I'll show you in this talk, is that what you see in a 3D study is how you prepare the data. And I could create lesions on almost any patient, or I could hide lesions on any patient. So I really would be uh, uncomfortable having someone else give me the data set, because then I'm only seeing 
what they saw or what they thought was important rather than what I might think is important. So again, keep that in mind. And again, you know, there are different uh, ways of doing things. There's different uh, models, but that's been our experience. And so that's what our preference is and is definitely there. Now our techs do know how to do 3D imaging if we're not around and doctor needs to look at 3Ds, they can do it. So you need to train them, but that's not their primary goal. Okay, so that's straightforward. Now what about workstations versus a client server model? Now, workstations are something we use and we always like. The downside, of course, to workstations is that it's one-to-one. -one. You have one workstation, you have one user. And that can be expensive, and as people are using 3D more often, it's very important to recognize that people do want to have that capability, and not just the radiologist, but also referring clinicians. So that can be very, very important in that regard. So for a client-server model is something that I think you're going to see routinely as sort of a coverage issue. So for example, I give pancreatic conference in the oncology building and I want to show in real time the 3D images. Well, a client-server model does that well. You know, we were never able to, nor do we want to, you know, schlep over a workstation into a different area to use it. So again, the client-server model is really great. Also, the cost factor, you know, the cost of a client-server is more than a workstation, but if you say 10 people or 20 people use it, it drops the cost by a factor of 10 or a factor of 20. And many of the uh, client-server models now, there's a thing called WebSpace from Siemens, you have 20 users simultaneously, so it has tremendous uh, you know, use in a very busy hospital with many different physicians trying to access data. So it does provide that distributed computing capability, also has the advantages that uh, all the information goes to uh, uh, one data storage rather than the typical issue where you have multiple workstations and the data has to be at that specific workstation. And again, the cost structure is indeed lower. Our feeling is you need both. You need to make the capabilities available across the enterprise, but you also need these very powerful workstations for many of the more sophisticated tasks. Most client servers have some capability, but they don't have the same capability that a workstation has. And so, again, uh, it's not one or the other. I think both of them really are critical. And there's no doubt as you move to the future, I would surely say that with better chips from Intel, uh, with better uh, boards from NVIDIA, uh, you're going to see this more of a seamless integration of the uh, distribution of information and uh, information analysis. And again, this needs to be done in a very fast manner, in a very secure manner, and I think those things are all in the pipeline. So that's kind of our philosophy. Now let's get down to applications, and let's speak about the thoracic aorta first. One of the key things, of course, is how do we do the studies? And I'll show you that uh, there's really three components, non-contrast imaging, arterial phase imaging, and delayed phase imaging. And within arterial phase imaging, I'll speak about how we time the studies, uh, whether we're using a test bolus, a bolus tracking, or preset delay. There's no doubt that whether you're using a classic 64-slice scanner or using a dual-source scanner, how we do the studies is indeed uh, going to determine our success. In the cardiac uh, arena, we think also that if you're looking at the thoracic aorta, even though you're not maybe worried about the coronary arteries for many applications, when you're worrying about the ascending aorta, you should be gating the study. You get the coronaries for free in that scenario, but gating becomes very important. So it's something that we will speak about. Now let's just first touch about non-contrast CT. Do you need to do non-contrast CT? Um, I think the answer more and more is yes. 
If you're looking at a patient, rule out the section, what is the non-contrast going to give you? Well, what happens is, and the key situation is this one. If you look at this case, look at the wall of the aorta. There's some calcification in the wall, but if you look laterally, left, you see high density in the wall of the aorta. And that's an intramural hematoma. Now, because it's a non-contrast CT, it indeed becomes very obvious. Once you give contrast, that high density is not going to be visualized. You'll see some thrombus or what looks like thrombus in the wall, but you're not going to recognize this as an intramural hematoma. So the key reason for non-contrast CTs is looking for intramural hematoma. And you can see here's that same patient once we give contrast. It's easy to recognize the aneurysm ascending aorta and into the patient's arch, but it's harder to recognize an intramural component because you, you know there's some soft tissue there, but maybe it's just simply thrombus. But intramural hemorrhage, uh, secondary to focal dissection, is something that's not uncommon. And again, it's something that's very, very difficult to recognize no matter how many images you do take. Now, if you look at these images, one thing this image does provide to you is, if you look at the image upper left, you can see a small ulceration off the aorta. So the enhancement shows the ulceration, and the fact you had the high density on the other scan makes it easy to recognize that this was an ulceration, and this is the intramural hematoma that results from it. Now, you can see the soft tissue around the ulcer, and you could say, gee, maybe this is an intramural hematoma, but maybe it's just fibrous tissue or thrombus. So, again, uh, the non-contrast can be very helpful in that regard. And here it is again, the images. And here's the images, uh, non-contrast, and with contrast. So you can see how obvious it is to visualize the intramural hematoma on non-contrast CT and how hard or impossible it would be to recognize if you only did uh, the contrast enhanced scan. So that's something we uh, routinely do. You don't need to do high dose scans. You don't need to do a lot of thin scans. You can go by fives, but make sure you have those images. Okay, that's point one. Point two. What about timing? Now, uh, we speak and we'll speak about abdominal aortic aneurysms. And when you speak about the abdominal aortic aneurysm, there's no doubt that uh, for most cases, you can do it as a non-timed acquisition. And you can do a preset delay of 25 to 30 seconds. When you're looking at the thoracic aorta, however, particularly when you're looking at the ascending aorta, just like we know from doing the coronary arteries, you, timing is critical. You could be too early, you could be too late. Uh, you can see from this series of a test bolus from a pulmonary embolism study, you can see this timing was wonderful for a PE, but this timing would be terrible if you're looking at the aorta. So in this case, you would have been too early by about five seconds. So again, bolus tracking is one of the ways of looking and determining uh, the timing for a, a study. And again, bolus tracking is something that can be used or test bolus as in this case, can be used uh, for pulmonary embolism studies to get really good visualization of the pulmonary arteries, as we see in this example, or it can be done for the aorta and coronary arteries. So that indeed is something that is very important in terms of practice. Now, if you ask the question for the aorta, what's better, test bolus or bolus tracking, I would say both work very nicely. Just get one of them down to a science. Uh, with bolus uh, tracking, typically, Puts, put the cursor, one side of your cursor in the ascending aorta 
and on a 64 slice scanner trigger at about 140 Hounsfield units that works very nicely um, if you're doing test bolus again put the uh, cursor in the ascending aorta and get that measurement where it hits about uh, 150 to 180 and then just go from there so that works very nicely now when we look at the aorta, one of the most difficult areas in the thoracic aorta has always been type A dissections, dissections of the ascending aorta. And the reason is, and you can see a very nice example in this case of dissection, ascending, and descending aorta, is that in the ascending aorta, particularly closer to the root, there's lots of motion. And it's always been the issue of pseudo-lesions or hiding lesions. Is there truly a lesion present? Well, a critical thing then, of course, would be to do gated acquisitions. Now, with a gated acquisition, you can get basically these kind of images where you can see very nicely the dissection. Okay? Now, the advantages of gated acquisition, optimal for detecting type A dissections or for excluding type A dissections or any pathology of the aortic root. You get a free look at the coronary arteries and that can be very important in many situations. Now, you can see the importance. If you look at this case and it looks pretty good, but look at the image on your right anteriorly is there a focal dissection in the ascending aorta and here it is again two more images gee it sure looks like a line there and it is a line the question is is that artifact is it motion related or is it a real dissection and you can look and do some reconstructions and i still think it's kind of hard maybe that line goes beyond the aortic root if you look at the image on your upper left it seems to go into the left atrium which means it has to be some kind of artifact but you know the surgeon's breathing down your neck someone wants to know do you operate do you not operate are you willing to say this is normal are you willing to call this artifact how comfortable are you in making that decision well that's the problem same case done again now we had uh, the study gated and look how beautifully you see the ascending aorta which is mildly dilated but you don't see any linear lines in the ascending aorta you see the LAD left main coronary artery but you do not see any evidence of any dissection and by the way yes in this case I got a free look at the coronary arteries and you can see this patient has significant disease in the LAD both calcified and non-calcified plaque so we got the coronary arteries for free and this was worked up further patient has a stenosis when you look more carefully but not more than 50% and so the patient was managed uh, conservatively but again just very nice visualizations of the coronaries because basically in this study you're doing a coronary examination the fact you're gating the fact you're doing test bolus and using the ascending aorta you're going to get a very good look at the coronary arteries so just a very nice example another case gated acquisition you see the image on your left image on your right you see the dissection the ascending aorta image on your right which is a volume rendered color map shows the left atrial appendage image on the left pulls that appendage away but you can see as I rotate through the images you can see the right coronary artery you now see the dissection the ascending aorta you also see the relationship of a dissection to the patient's coronary arteries and that indeed can be very important in terms of outcome also very important in terms of how the surgeon would approach the problem volume rendering is excellent for showing the dissection here's a series of images image on your left is a MIP image on your right is volume rendered um, well you can see when you have MIP imaging and we've talked about this before projection image you lose the flap volume rendering shows you the flap very nicely so again I'll use some of the MIP in this regard 
but you never rely on the MIP alone and you have to always be aware of its limitations. Now, why don't we gate every study? I mean, that's a good question. Maybe we just gate all the CTs of the chest. They're surely going to be better. And the main reason we don't gate them is because it's increased radiation dose. And that's just something that is with uh, gating. You have to slow down the table. And so you do have these issues. So, uh, however, in the right scenario, you're thinking of sending aorta, you better gate the patient. No ifs, ands, or buts. What else? Let's look at a few more cases. Um, let's look at this example, nice example showing you the ascending aorta, uh, looking at it with volume rendering and MIP. And I'm looking at the clock and I think my time is up. So why don't we do this? Why don't we stop here and we'll pick it up from here next time. Thanks a lot.